there are a lot of um, great theologians um, that I like to read. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, um, C.S. Lewis is a, is a really fun one. Um, some that pastors enjoy. One that I particularly, because I think he's a little bit more on my level, is the, the great theologian by the name of Charles Schultz. Anybody? I think I might have shared this cartoon with you before, but this is one of my favorites. It's more of on my level. This is uh, Lucy and Linus, right? Lucy says, give me a glass of water. Linus says, why should I do anything for you? You never do anything for me. She says, okay, well, on your 75th birthday, I'll bake you a cake. And Linus replies, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. How many of you would say, you know what, that's true? You know what, life is more pleasant when you have something to look forward to. You know, I, I heard a, a pastor say this once, I think it's true. It says, you can live a few weeks without food, a few days without water, and a few minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. question I have for you this morning is, do you have something to look forward to? When you came in this morning, were your thoughts like clouded, um, your heart and mind just overwhelmed with stuff? Or, or do you kind of see your future um, that you're walking towards full of like opportunity and, and optimism? Or have the last few weeks or maybe the few days clouded that just a little bit? Maybe you're overwhelmed by your checkbook. <laughs> you look at your finances and you think, how in the world are we going to make this work? Or maybe it's a relationship, someone that you care deeply for, and, and there just seems to be splinters and strains just pulling you apart. Or maybe it's just life in general, and you start thinking these questions, how am I going to keep moving forward through this stuff? How many of you would say that I sure hope 2018 is a little bit better than 2017? Anybody there? <laughs> some of us are, some of us are there. If you are, this morning, I have a word of hope for you. We, um, we've been looking at Isaiah and the, the, the promises of God in the Old Testament and how they're fulfilled in the Old, in the New Testament uh, through the person of Jesus. And, and when Isaiah wrote his letter as, as a prophet, um, the people of God were in a really, really dark time. Um, it was one of the most difficult moments. At, at one point, the people of God, the people of Israel, were the most powerful nation on earth. And now, as Isaiah is the prophet, and he's writing, they're actually in captivity. And so all the stuff that they fought for for generations has been ripped away from them. Their freedom has been taken. All of their affluence, the stuff that they gathered, has been taken away by their captives. And in this moment, they're wondering from God, where are you? Where are you? You said that we were your people. Yes, we are. And we were disobedient to you, and we understand that, but we're at a place now where we're in over our heads. And where are you, God? And it's in this moment that God gave a word of hope for His people. And so if you'll pull out your notes and your bulletin, you can read along with me, Isaiah 9, verse 1. 
This is what it says. He says, nevertheless, this is the prophet, the time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. It's not going to go on forever. But there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. Now that word glory represents the pillar or represents the presence of God. It was the glory of God. If you remember when the people of God were coming out of Egypt, it was the glory of God that led them as a pillar of fire. It represented his presence. When they, when they had the temple, um, it was the, it was the, it was the presence of God that caused it to shine. It was his presence that overtook them and, and guided them through the wilderness. And what Isaiah is saying now is that even though you're in darkness, now there's going to come a time when I will fill this world with light and the fullness of my presence. There's going to come a Messiah. And from this moment on, the people of God looked forward towards this coming Messiah that one day God's glory would come in the presence of a person and bring hope to his people. And then we have Jesus. Luke chapter 8 is talking about, or chapter 2, verse 8 through 11 is talking about the birth of Jesus. And listen to what it says. It says, that night, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flock of sheep. And suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's what? His glory surrounded them, and they were terrified. I mean, this had to be some sort of light show, right? If it caused that type of fear. you know. So there's this glory, but the angel reassured them. He says this, don't, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. The Savior. Yes, who? The Messiah. The Lord has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. He says this glory of God that you've been waiting for in the person of the Messiah, He is now here. He has come from heaven to earth and Jesus is the promised hope of God. He's reminding His people that I have not abandoned you. During this holiday season, we call Jesus Emmanuel. Does anybody know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Look, I don't know. I know some of what some of you are walking through. Um, maybe financially you're just flipped upside down in this moment. Maybe there's a relationship that makes you want to pull your hair out and you've got a few bald spots like I do. Maybe there's just a darkness that you're in and you've been there a while. I'm not sure what it is, but what it is, but what can I tell you the good news is is that there is hope. And this morning, I want you to just open your hearts and open your minds and possibly lean into this word of hope that he has for you this morning. You say, why, Jared? Why can I hope in God? How do I get hope from God? Here's just a few things for you. And the first thing is this, is that you can have hope in God's past answer to prayer. One reason you can have hope is because of God's past answer 
to prayer. Psalms chapter 77, the psalmist writes this, and he says, And I said, this is my fate. The Most High God has turned His hand against me. Now read the bold part with me. But then I recall all you've done, O Lord. I remember your wonderful deeds of long ago. This psalm was written by a gentleman by the name of Asaph. And he says, okay, God has to be against me. I mean, I feel like God is against me. But he says this. He says, in the midst of this despair, in the midst of this feeling like God has turned against me, what I do is, is I look and remember all the things that God has done for me. And that gives me hope. And he goes on, if you want to read it sometime this week, in Psalms chapter 78, he goes on and he starts talking about these things. He says, I'll never forget what God has done. I'll never forget when we were captive in Egypt and he let, he turned the heart of Pharaoh and Pharaoh let us go. I'll never forget the story of being in captivity and, and the plagues that God sent. I'll never forget that when we stood in front of the Red Sea and He parted those waters, I'll never forget when we were in the wilderness and, and we were starving and God sent manna and quail to feed us. I'll never forget when we were thirsty and Moses took that staff of His and He struck a rock and water poured out. I will never forget all the things that God has done for us because He answers prayer. Whenever, I put this little saying in your notes, whenever things look bleak ahead, just look back. How many of you can look back across the years and you can remember, remember moments when you felt hopeless, but God intervened in your life in some incredible way and answered prayer for you? Anybody? Yeah. Those are the moments that you hang on to. When you run into stuff today, you remember then. Stan Toller is a pastor, or was a pastor and writer in Oklahoma City. And uh, one of the books that he wrote, I think we have a picture of the cover of the book. It says, God has never failed me, but he sure scared me to death a time or two. (laughs) How many of you have ever felt like you've been there before? You know, every once in a while, when all you, ha- all you see ahead is darkness, it's very easy to want to throw in the towel and to quit. Um, but I want to challenge you that when you get to that place that you stop and you look back and you remember what God has done because it will help you believe what God can do when you remember what He has done. Here's a second thought. Not only can we get hope from the past answered, Prayers, here's another way we can have hope. You can have hope in God's sovereignty. Sovereignty means God's not surprised. It's a good definition for sovereignty. When you, It's like this. When you get that call or that letter or something happens to you and you go, <gasps> and it kind of takes your breath away. Have you ever been there before? One of those breath-stealing moments? Yeah. In that moment, can I tell you that God didn't go, (gasps) I'm positive. (laughs) I'm positive that, that God didn't see that coming. That he wasn't, he was really surprised and he says, you know what, um, what, this is really shocking to me. I'm sure that God's never been there 
before. He's never been startled and have something take his breath away. God's not surprised. One of our own, Kim, has had a few moments in her life um, where God took her breath away. And she's just going to share a little bit of her story of, uh, of how God was faithful even in those moments. Kim, come up and share for a moment. You're going to do fine. You're going to do fine. Is her mic turned on? Okay. Hello? You're going to be okay. Just go ahead and read what, what you wrote. Okay. I'm right Oh, yeah. Um, well, it started way back when I was a little girl. Um, my mom was diagnosed bipolar, so there goes the bipolar in me. Um, I really didn't know my mom to have a mother and daughter relationship, so really living, having a mom and not having her, really. Um, my mom was always getting talked down to because I lived in a very dysfunctional household. And um, when you hear things being said to you, you believe it. I mean, really, if you really think about it, if someone calls you stupid, there you go, stuck right there. Um, so when I wasn't, when I was old enough, I was told that I was dumb, and I will not mean anything to anyone. So really kind of thinking about that, you know, and that's why I say sometimes I say to people that I don't want to be your friend because I don't think that I'm um, capable of being your friend. So, well, now I was trying to get my mom to real really focus that she had another daughter and she needed to look at me like I was alive because when you're the baby of the family you don't think you have a voice ah oh, well yeah now I do um, but actually things got a little tensed around the house so now in April of 1998 my mom passed away but prior to that, my sister passed away in 1996. And um, she um, had the HIV virus. And it was tough because everybody focused on my sister because she was in the hospital. And once again, I was left in a corner somewhere. Um, and then she left three wonderful daughters in this world to um, survive without a mom. And I know what it is to, to survive without a mom, even though physically she was there. Um, here I go. Um, now I can't see <laughs> the tears. Um, So sitting there in the hospital room, and Pastor Jared had did a service about watching somebody die. And um, I'm sitting around the bed of my mom, not believing, thinking that there is a God, but there is. Because 
I saw her flatline, and something came over me like I felt someone else there. And I couldn't say anything because I thought that people would think I'm nuts. Because having bipolar, you see things and you imagine things and you really kind of say, oh, well, I see somebody right there, right there in the corner of my eye. But technically, it is somebody there and it's God. And and when Jared, Pastor Jared was talking about heaven and so technically I had three people rise in front of me and gone to heaven and right there something just came over me that there is a heaven and there is a God because they're, they're there and they're right there. So, um, okay. Then in 2001, two years later, my father flatlined in front of me. And that was a different story because I didn't have a relation, I didn't have a relationship with my dad because he's the one that kind of mentally abused us as when we were growing up. So really, like, you didn't care about me, so go, you know? But, um, he flatlined in front of me as well. So here I am, straight two years apart, everybody's leaving. So now, in 2002, I'm here by myself in a two-bedroom apartment in New York. And um, really, like, okay, where's my, where's, where's my life going? Where's my hope now? Talk about hope. Um, the hope was just drained, like, okay, I'm here. Where am I going? So two years later, in 2004, well, a little longer, um, 2004, my brother that I live with now calls me up and says um, to me, um, hey, you have nobody in New York, so why stay there? I said, well, well, being in New York for 38 years, you can't just pick up and go. Those years are stuck. So um, I... Said finally, after several phone calls and several weeks, okay, pack my stuff up, and here I am going to New York City, getting on a Greyhound bus for three days, going to Sacramento. Oh God, you had to see me then when I got off the bus. Looked like a big old hippopotamus. Want a hippopotamus for Christmas? That there you go. Um, so now here I am. July of 2004, traveling on a Greyhound bus for three days, not showered, oh God, how could I not shower? Um, got to Sacramento, California, um, stayed with my brother um, in August of 2000, I guess the beginning of 2005, I met Anthony's dad, and um, things were going pretty good until I... Um, got pregnant with Anthony, not knowing that he was a boy at the time. So, um, now there, there, there was my joy right there. Not knowing that I was going to have my own child. Not thinking, I'm too dumb to have a child. Where am I going? So all those feelings growing up and so, 
then I explained to Anthony's dad, said, um, well, we're going to have a child, whether or not you like it or not. And he's like, well, no, I don't want children. And I'm like, well, you know what? I do. Because that child was not asked to be born. So um, we got into a heated argument, and um, he kind of hit me and threw me down and kicked me, almost lost the precious joy that I really wanted. And right there, when you sing Breaking the Chain, Sarah, you wanted to break that chain where you lived it all your life and you just wanted to say, okay, I'm done. I had it all my life. Saw my mom walk around with bruises and, and I wasn't going to have that. So breaking the cycle really put it in my mind and I didn't think that I was really kind of back then thought that I was very religious and thinking of God at the time. Then we moved out here in the end of 2005 and Anthony was born. All those feelings that I had, the minute I looked at his face, and I just wanted to say to everyone, ha, huh, I made it. Through the tears and through the heart, that losing three people. And I kind of pressured, not pressured, but um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, and to my dad, wherever you are in heaven, I ain't so dumb anymore, huh? <laughs> then, as the years came up, looking at my son now, and I'm sorry, Pastor Jared, I did a hell of a job. <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I mean, that's the one thing that I can say about that word, because I don't say anything bad about anyone and you know thinking about this ain't so bad after all yep through the tears and I could say that finally when I found one again it was tough it was tough um, and now here I am I'm back at one and as Sarah says in Christ we are one that out. It's okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Life has a way of hit after hit after hit after hit. And can I just say that God not only knows what you're going through, but in the midst of it, um, He's working. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the problems, even though we can't see it, um, he can. The scripture tells us, Romans 8.28, he says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Now that doesn't mean that we get to escape every problem. 
It doesn't give us an escape clause or an exempt clause with life. It doesn't mean everything is wonderful. But what it does mean is that in the midst of the stuff that we go through, God is with you. He is working in your midst and he will turn it for good. We say, God, where are you? Where are you, God? And he says, I'm working. I'm working. Just beyond what we can see with our eyes, he's taking the circumstances of our life that are hard and he's making something beautiful out of it. Jim Walker um, wrote a little story about his worst year. His worst year was 2007. Um, he had two little boys and, um, and they gave birth to a little girl in January, but she was born blind. Um, it was an adorable little girl, but her handicap presented some challenges for their family, and they were just really struggling and disheartened. And, and Jim, you know, just the side of the health stuff, he said, I was having a hard time at work. Work was slow, and we were getting behind financially, and I was just struggling to keep up with it all. And in December, the end of 2007, he went to a grocery store to get some baby food, and when he came out, he saw that his car had been broken into. They'd stole everything he had of his car, including his tools that he needed for work. And so now, what is he going to do? But there was a woman standing by his car, and her name was Jenna, and she was a firefighter with Santa Clara, where this happened. And she said, hey, I saw them bust the window out of your car, and I came running over, but they had already got the stuff and threw it in their car and took off running, and she said, there is nothing I can do. I've called the police, I gave them a description, and I'm just going to wait here with you, you know. And, and so they waited here, and, and the police officer that came that took a report, her name was Gracie. And... Um, he just said that, that, that Jenna and Gracie were just amazing in that moment. He was just really touched by the way they just took Audrey and were passing her back and forth and loving on her and encouraging him and doing all the stuff that they had to do to make sure, you know, that he was taken care of. And so as they were, he was kind of processing this day over the next few days, he decided to write a letter to their supervisors, one to the police and one to the fire, just thanking them for Jenna and Gracie and the hard work they did that day. A few days later, he got a call from Jenna. She said, hey, we just want to stop by tomorrow. Is that okay? We have something for you. And he was like, um, sure. Uh, three o'clock, I guess I'll be home from work. And so she did. And when Gracie and Jenna showed up, um, they brought along 10 bags of toys um, for Christmas for his kids for that Christmas. He was just blown away that the fire department and the police department would do something so kind for him, um, a stranger that they barely knew. And, and as they were walking and talking and just kind of processing, the kids were having fun, you know, opening presents. Um, Gracie's boss, um, the, the police chief, I don't know if I'm sure if he was police, but her, her direct supervisor there at the station picked up Audrey and was just walking around with Audrey. And he said, hey, I... You don't know this about me, but I have to tell you that my son um, was born blind. And he says, I know every person in the valley that can help you. And I am, a, a fill, I am acquainted with every single agency that can help your family. And I know every program that we can get Audrey into to make sure that she is not stunted in her life and development and growth as a little girl because of this handicap that she had. Jim said that in that moment he realized that the worst moment of his life, that somehow God had taken that and turned it into the most incredible blessing he had ever received. And that's the sovereignty of God. 
look, I wish I was a prophet and I can tell you exactly where and what God is up to in your life, but I'm not. But I do know this, is that God is working and He's not done. And we can have hope in His sovereignty. Here's the third thing, is that you can have hope in His incredible power. Did you know that God can do things that you can't do? <laughs> just just give you a little piece of it, just, just a little free one. Sometimes we look at stuff and we say, how in the world can anyone do this? Well, what may be impossible for us is possible with God. And I love Mark chapter 9. It's a story about a man whose son needs healing. He's been he's, he's demon-possessed and he's having seizures. And we have these seizures. He'll fall to the ground. And, and he says, you know, Jesus, I, I, took, I took my son to your disciples and they couldn't heal him. They couldn't help him. Um, he says, but if you can, will you make my son well? If you can. Listen to what Jesus replies in Mark 9.23. I say it with a smile on my face because I think it's funny. He says, what do you mean if I can? What do you mean if I can? Anything is possible if a person believes. Maybe we need to read that together. Anything is possible if a person believes. Do you believe that God is strong? Do you believe that he's powerful enough? When you're at the end of your paycheck, do you believe that God can make it work? Do you believe that God can touch bodies and heal them? Do you believe that God can help you navigate through tough situations that you don't see a way out? Do you believe that God can work on knuckleheaded husbands? Do you believe? Maybe. <laughs> do you believe? Crystal. Crystal and her husband got married in June 2009. A year and a half later, um, her husband told her that he didn't love her anymore. And he didn't want to be married, and he left. Um, she said she was devastated, and she didn't know what was going on or why he said these things. And she felt like maybe he was just having a moment, and she would give him a few days, um, but he would be back. Um, she waited a few days, and then she texted him and said, Hey, can we talk? And he says, No, I don't want to talk. Um, I'm done. It's better for you to go on with your life. And uh, she said, I tried calling him over and over again. He'd never answer. Uh, she went to church from time to time. But she said it was just something that she did. And she's not sure if she ever really believed it. And she said this. She said, can I tell you how real, she wrote this. Can I tell you how real God becomes when you become desperate? She said, I had nowhere else to go. So I leaned into God like I never had before. She said, I had a couple people at church that I attended that I had a lot of respect for. And I asked them, would you pray for me? She said, I came to a place after months that I realized that my husband wasn't coming home and I had to be okay with that. So I surrendered my relationship, my marriage, my life to God. And I said, if something's going to happen, it's going to be because of you. It's out of my control. She said, in that moment, she received some peace. But her prayer warriors, they never stopped praying. Four months later, she got a text from him. It said, do you mind if I stop by? She said, sure, that'd be fine. She said she was fully prepared for just little common talk or about finances or something that they had to clear up. Um, but she had no idea what he was going to say. But this time when he walked in, she could tell that something was different. He was broken. She said he sat down at the table and said, I, I know you have no reason to take me back, but you need to know that God has broke my heart. And I realize that I'm giving up everything that is important to me. And I don't want to do that. And if you can find it in your heart to forgive me, I want to come home and I want us to have the kind of marriage that God wanted us to have. She said as she was writing this story, looking back, she said that 
until that point, I knew that God can do some things. But it was in that moment that I knew that through God, all things were possible. Look, I'm not trying to minimize your circumstances that you find yourself in or the pain that you're walking through or the troubles that you're facing or, or the issues that you may have between you and a spouse or someone else that you care about. Not trying to minimize that. But what I can say is that God is strong enough to deal with whatever you're facing. That all things are possible to those who believe. Here's the last thought. You can have hope in God's limitless love. Do you know how much God loves you? I mean, it's ridiculous. Long before he was a thought in your mind, he loved us and he loved you. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 3. He says, and you may have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience this love of Christ, though it is too great to fully understand. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. He's saying when you really begin to grasp how deeply God loves you and to what extent He will go for you, when you get a glimpse of that passion that He has for you, I promise your heart will be filled with hope. There was a couple in Australia, Kate and David, um, Kate and David Oggs, uh, they really wanted to have a baby and they were going through fertility and they tried a number of times to get pregnant and they were unsuccessful. But she finally did get pregnant and she was really excited just to find out a month later she was actually having twins. And she was like, oh, yes, right? So excited. Now we're having two. I'm not ready for this. Just imagine the feelings going through. And she's like, are you kidding me? This is exciting twins. But along the way, at six months along, um, she went into labor. In March 25th, 2010, she gave birth to two babies, a boy and a girl. First was Jamie, and later Emily was born. When Emily was born, it was immediate, and the baby just started crying, and, um, and just started crying. And, um, but when Jamie came out, he didn't do that. Um, and Kate just felt like something was wrong. He made no sound, and all the doctors were going to work, and there were like 15 people hovering over him, over this little baby, and for 20 minutes they worked on him. Finally, the doctor turned to her with her little boy in his arms and just said, I'm sorry, we can't save your baby boy. His little heart was beating, um, but he wasn't breathing. And every once in a while, he would just give a gasp, just air gasping, um, but he wasn't going to live. And Jamie said, let me hold my baby boy. Um, before you take him, let me hold him. So the, daughter, the doctor put the baby boy in her arms. And uh, she said he felt so cold. So she pulled him toward her, and she looked at her husband and said, David, you need to get in bed with me. And so he crawled in bed, and he took off his shirt, and they began to hold this little baby boy. This is the picture of the three of them. Little Jamie. She said, I ordered David, this is what she wrote, I ordered David to get his clothes off and to get into bed with me because I wanted as much body heat around this baby as possible. He was so cold, and I wanted him to be warm and alive. She said what followed was almost unbelievable. The Oggs kept Jamie pressed against her skin, adjusting his tiny head to hear Kate's heartbeat. And she said, I know it sounds crazy, but as we sobbed in grief, we started telling Jamie about his sister, Emily, 
and how she was his twin and that he needed to stick around to take care of her through life. She said that Jamie was also informed of all the big plans that we had for him as his parents. There were all these extended family that he needed to meet. And if he would just stay alive. She said the bawling parents suddenly felt something, a little movement from Jamie. And he was moving. But even better, he was breathing. And the Oggs continued to hold on and keeping Jamie's skin against theirs the entire time. And it says, in that one astounding moment, Jamie opened his eyes and grabbed David's finger. This teeny little hand barely covering the tip of David's finger. But it made them filled with joy. Jamie laid his head back on Kate's chest and just stared at his dad. And it was the most amazing moment. Something like this had never happened. So they called the doctor back in. And they said, this isn't possible. I mean, this baby was dying. He was dead. Um, their eyes were huge, and they took Jamie from them. They began to care for him. They asked the doctor, what does this mean? He's breathing. Say he's breathing, but you don't know. Um, what, you, what you need to know is that his brain was without oxygen for over 20 minutes. Um, he probably won't have a normal life. But that's not true. Jamie was just fine. Here's a picture of Jamie and Emily. I think there's one more. As little kids. Now they have a little brother named Charlie. Get this. Kate's love wouldn't let her son go. Kate, when reflecting on this interview, said, I, I could have let the doctor walk out with him because he said he was gone, that he wasn't alive. But I just wanted him near and it was out of that love that a miracle took place. It was out of that love when everyone else had given up that, that love continued to hold on. And if you can get that, you can get the type of love that God has for you. A love that won't let go. Like I don't know what kind of state you're in or how bleak life may appear or how far you've walked away from God. But there is a relentless love of God that won't release you. Paul was writing about this type of love, this type of agape love. And he says, this love, this love, it, it bears all things. It believes all things. Love hopes all things. And love never gives up. Some of you saying, Pastor Jared, why can't I be hopeful today? And I just want to say your Heavenly Father will never stop loving you and will never give up on you. I'm going to have Sarah and the worship team come up. As they do so, I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes. And this morning, I'm just going to be asking God to breathe a fresh breath of hope over you. Maybe you're in a dark place personally where you're overwhelmed with life, financial, spiritual, relational, physical, and you just need a little hope. If that's you, I just want you to lift up your hand where you are and just say, Pastor Jared, just remember me. Maybe, maybe you don't feel like you're in a dark place, but you're walking with someone that's in a very dark place and you want to be God's candle of hope in their life. If that's just where you are, I want you to raise your hand. Father God, you see the hands raised. 
more than hands raised, You know these people's hearts. You know the hope that they need. And Father, I pray that You would remind them of where You've showed up in the past. That they would be convinced of Your sovereignty and the incredible power that You have at Your fingertips. And Father, that they would be absolutely convinced of the limitless love that You have for Your children, God. It's ridiculous how much You love us. It's a love that won't let go. Father, help us to see hope, the person of Jesus, this holiday, this Christmas. It's in your name we pray.